You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On this episode, we're joined by Joel Runyon, who is an ultramarathon runner and an entrepreneur and an adventurer and a traveler. And he and I had a really cool conversation. Uh, He's an athlete who founded uh, Impossible, which is a company dedicated to helping people push their limits and do the impossible. On his website, he has this list, the impossible list, which has all of these things, goals that he's um, set forth for himself, things that um, he's striving to do. And I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, in, in 2017, he became the youngest person to, to uh, in the world to run seven ultra marathons on seven continents. And along the way, he raised $192,000 for Pencils of Promise and built seven schools through impossible.org, which is pretty amazing. This one guy doing all this. Um, and, and now he, uh, he's the founder of a paleo resource called Ultimate Paleo Guide. He's got ultimate meal plans. Of course, all this stuff is in, all these in the uh, details are in the show notes. Um, he's just releasing a new app uh, called MoveWell, which is based on mobility because as an, as an ultra marathon runner uh, who experienced uh, a, a terrible injury in the very first of these seven ultra marathons in four and a half months, yeah, pretty wild. Uh, he knows probably a, th- a thing or two about recovery and mobility. Joel and I talk a lot about mentality during a conversation and, and kind of how he approaches each of these races and how he motivates himself in the face of expecting it to suck, which I think is a key point and takeaway from this is like expecting things to be hard uh, and not being surprised when things, when you face challenges, uh, pretty, pretty cool. And, and also kind of like stoic wisdom that he and I get into a little bit, but the way that he looks at these challenges in his life uh, and the challenges of executing big goals like he has uh, is pretty interesting. Before we jump into the episode, just a couple of things of housekeeping. If you haven't followed us on Instagram yet, go to Optimal Performance Podcast. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, it's Real Sean McCormick. Um, I'm a life coach and a podcaster, obviously, and um, it's my goal to help people, and I do it in various different ways. And if you're interested in reading more about that, go to seanmccormick.com, S-E-A-N McCormick.com, and see sort of things that I'm into. And um, if you haven't given us a review on iTunes or subscribed, please go do that. I really appreciate that. It helps our numbers immensely. And without further ado, please enjoy this really cool conversation with Joel Runyon. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. And we're here with Joel Runyon. He's the founder of Impossible, a company dedicated to helping people push their limits and do the impossible. Joel, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So one question that I like to ask everybody 
especially those ultra marathoners, paleo, keto expert types like yourself, is what have you put in your body today? Tell, tell people what time it is in your time zone and what have you consumed today? <laughs> this is a, a interesting question for today. It's literally, uh, I haven't eaten today. It's uh, two o'clock. I haven't eaten at all. Uh, have I eaten anything? No, I've uh, I've been drinking water and I'm really not that hungry. And probably after this call, I'm gonna uh, sit down and probably have some uh, eggs, and then uh, uh, that's probably. <laughs> I mean, that's it for uh, the morning. And uh, once I go work out, I'll probably eat a lot more after that. Perfect. Do you so <laughs> no coffee, no supplements, nothing? No, not not today. <laughs> um, I uh, I kick things off and. Um, uh, typically, typically I would be having a lot more coffee, but I just got in uh, off uh, like a 10-week – or not 10-week, 10-day. 10 <laughs> I was traveling for a while, so I'm used to longer trips. But I just got back from a 10-day trip and uh, had uh, a quite a bit of caffeine. So uh, I'm trying to come down off that for a couple of days before jumping back into that. Nice. You know, it's – you know, I, I see you're like, oh, I got – sorry, dude. This is this bad content because I haven't <laughs> eaten anything. But the fact of the matter is is that – if you're fasting, you know, like, like you're yep. that you're in good company. And, and, um, a lot of people say, Oh, uh, uh coffee with a little butter in it. And it's four o'clock my time. I, you're right. I haven't eaten crap. So you're, you're, you're all good, man. Right <laughs> like maybe at. I should be kidding. <laughs> no, there's a, uh, Jack Dorsey was going around and he was talking about fasting and I uh, actually wrote something about this recently and everybody flipped out and they're like, how, how can he not eat for, hours at a time you're like actually it's, it's not that hard it's actually pretty easy it's it's not that hard and it's not that uncommon anymore and i think for the masses of people uh who are n not up to date on you know sort of current cutting edge nutrition stuff the thought of skipping breakfast which is the most important meal of the day uh told to us by the founders of kellogg cereal uh they're not hip to that so <laughs> now they are. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Joel, you ran seven ultra marathons in seven on seven continents. That is a that is a teaser because I would love to hear your origin story first. What on earth would compel you to do something so extreme? Okay, so uh, I'll try to do the quick version, but basically, I graduated school in uh, two thousand nine. And uh, in the middle of the recession, I couldn't get a job anywhere. Um, basically, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I thought like there's a typical path that most people follow, and I'm just gonna do do what you're supposed to do, get what everybody else got, and uh, basically graduated and did all the things I was supposed to do in college, and then got out into the real world, and uh, kind of chewed me up and spat me out, and I couldn't get a job. Um, long story short, on that end, uh, basically um, went through some bad times living in my parents' basement, um, and found, um, like, you know, instead of just dealing, uh, the hand I got dealt and, um, doing what everybody else was doing, I basically found that, um, you know, through different competitive outlets, um, I could change what my concept of reality was. I could change, uh, my concept of what was impossible. And I, I was in a pretty bad spot where everything seemed impossible. I couldn't get a call back from Starbucks. Um, and I basically, uh, instead of letting other people define 
you know, where I could work and what I could do, I started looking at activities. And um, one of them was a triathlon. And so I decided, um, you know, I have reasons why I can't travel the world, why I can't start my own business, why I can't get a job, but I don't have a reason why I can't go outside my house and train. And so I did my first ever race and it was an indoor triathlon and I finished the race and I, I thought to myself, you spent so much time telling yourself that this was impossible and you just did it. If that's true, what else could you go out and do? And I basically took that mindset and started applying it to a bunch of different races. I started getting into um, other triathlons. I started taking that mindset and applying it uh, to my career where I uh, basically decided to you know, take a entry-level uh, apprenticeship job where I'm getting paid no money, but I'm just getting uh, around the boss and learning all the time and uh, kind of took that proactive high agency approach to different parts of my life at the same amount of time. And so uh, I started doing that uh, in my career, uh, ended up working my way from entry level to like a marketing director of an internet marketing firm in about a year and a half. I got recruited to a couple other companies, uh, did some work with some Fortune 500 companies before uh, ending up in leaving and starting my own thing. Um, but also at the same time, kind of doing the same thing on the fitness side of things and kind of scaling up from an indoor triathlon. Cause I was scared I was going to drown in an open water swim. So I wanted to make sure I did my first one in a pool, uh, to longer triathlons kind of tricked myself into running. I'd never been a runner before. Um, I'd never run more than a 5k, uh, before I did my first triathlon and ended up basically, you know, tricking myself into running, uh, a half Ironman, and then half half marathons, uh, marathons, and then in 2012 I got challenged to run an ultra marathon uh, for a charity, Pencils of Promise. Um, and at first I was like, I I did a marathon. That's as far as anybody ever goes. That's as far as anyone needs to go. And then I found about ultras, and I was like, okay, well, apparently there's more to this than meets the eye. And so. I did my first ultra marathon and we raised $26,000 and built a school in Guatemala. And I thought it was really awesome. Uh, it was really, really hard, but it was really impactful. And so I finished that and I asked myself, you know, that was one of the hardest things you've done, but it was also one of the most impactful. How can you do something like that on a bigger scale? And so I started looking at other ultra marathons, other things out there. And I saw all these really interesting races. There was a thing called the Ice Marathon 100K, which is a, a 100K race in Antarctica, about 500 miles outside the South Pole. Um, it's really the only 100K that deep into Antarctica. I was like, that's awesome. Maybe I should do something like that, like run 100K, try to raise 100K. And then I started looking at all these other ultramarathons and started realizing ultramarathons are crazy. There's all these ridiculous ones in different parts of the globe. Um, they're really incredible. And so I started, you know, seeing one in Thailand that was, I was interested in one in, you know, the Arctic in Finland that I was interested in. Uh, and then like one in Australia. So I, I started to kind of put the, together this idea of like, Oh, what if I just ran one on every continent? And you know, like what if it was like seven, seven ultra marathons on seven continents. And instead of doing one school, we did seven. And, um, it was one of those ideas that once you had the idea, um, if I'd never come up with the idea, I would have been totally fine. But as soon as I had the idea, I was like, I have, I have to do that now. And I'm not going to sleep well. I try to convince myself, Hey, you don't need to do that. It's going to be fine. Like just do something else. But once I had the idea, I realized that I wasn't going to sleep well until I, uh, went out and did that. So, um, 
I set out to do it. I uh, had this big launch project. I got it all ready. Uh, I go out and do my first race and I get hurt pretty badly in the middle of my first race and limp to the finish line. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that happened where like I got injured for a little bit. Uh, I got I had a lawsuit that happened and uh, there's a bunch of like logistical things outside of the actual running and outside of the actual fundraising that I took uh, a ton of time and energy to deal with. But eventually, um, you know, wrapped all those things up and came back and I finished the last six races, I think in, uh, four and a half months, but like end to end, it was like two and a half years total that it, the whole project took me. So that's the, that's the short version of that story. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine how much more long that could be with all the ups and downs. What was your, what happened mentally when halfway through your first ultra marathon and a plan to do seven of them, you got hurt? Like what went through your brain? Yeah. So what happened was I was in Patagonia, Chile, and it was this, uh, it was like a 40 mile race or so. And so about 26 miles in, I come around this corner and there'd been a, uh, like a tailwind the whole time. So it's actually pushing you like 20 miles an hour or something like that. It was like pushing you pretty well. So you, you felt pretty good while running. Wasn't too bad. You're like, I might be running a little bit faster than I normally am just because of the wind. Uh, but 26 miles in, uh, like right at the marathon mark, we came around a corner and the, the wind shifted. And instead of being at our back, it came at the side. And so basically, uh, it blew me halfway, like across this gravel road type thing that we were running on downhill. And I came off my feet and I tried to catch myself, but I ended up basically rolling my left ankle. And since we we're going downhill, I rolled my ankle past my foot pretty badly and I, I played basketball. I'd rolled my ankle before. I thought it was like, okay, you know, you're just going to, you know, walk it off. You're going to be fine. And uh, uh, the spoiler on that is I basically limped, jogged the last 14 miles. I was like, oh, it's going to be like a, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll walk it off for like a half mile or whatever. And I'll be fine. And basically like, yeah, limp jogged the last like 14 miles. And um, in my mind, it really hurt. But I thought it was just, I'm going to ice this. I'm going to get back to the States. I'm going to be fine. Like I might have to do a little bit more recovery, but I'll be okay. And what happened was I had a pretty much, uh, had a very like severely sprained peroneal tendon. Um, it wasn't like, you know, I didn't snap it, but it was pretty bad. Um, and so basically I had to kind of go back to the drawing board where, uh, you know, finishing the race sucked. It was like really hard and like painful, but I'm good at, like I've always said, I'm not a really great runner. Uh, I'm just pretty good at suffering. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with dealing with pain. Um, but it was when I got back to the States and I went out for a run, um, before I realized what had happened and I'd been used to going out and, you know, casually doing like a 20 mile run. And I got like two blocks down the street and I was like, I can't, I can't keep going like this. And so that was the mentality where you're like, oh, no, this is something different than what I'm dealing with. And then um, also the thing of like, hey, I built up this big launch. Hey, I'm going to be doing this thing. And then first race in, hey, I got injured really, really badly. Uh, and I'm going to take six months just to do rehab to get my leg back to where I needed to be. So um, it was, you know, in the middle of the race, it was one thing. It was like, OK, you deal with the pain. And I'm like pretty good at dealing with it. 
the the next part was coming back to the states and realizing like oh this plan that you had made up for yourself and uh you know you thought the the running was going to be hard and you thought the fundraising was going to be hard but how do you what do you think about injuries and and rehab how do you how does that feel to you and so that was the more um difficult part mentally for me because uh it's like you have this plan and you know you have like a a master plan for the the whole race and you have uh you know your individual plans for uh you have your individual plans for each race and your your master plan for the whole project and uh it's like all of those got smashed at the same time <laughs> in different ways so that was that was interesting to deal with when i think about when i think about what it kind of takes to go from like hey this is th- I can't find a job. This isn't working out. This is not going well. I'm in my parents' basement. I'm going to make a decision to double down on something that's not only hard but impossible. I'm going to I'm going to make a list of all of these ridiculous goals that that would land on many people's uh I want to do that list in my life. At what point or or how I want to get into the mindset that you were in to double down on that adversity and decide to throw caution to the wind. It was it because that you had nothing to lose that you decided that you were going to go from I can't find a job to I'm just going to go I'm just going to go adventure. For, for, that's my plan. My plan is adventure. Are you unique in that? Like what I want to know how, where that point shifted. Yeah. So, so for me at first, it was like, uh, there was a, I always talk about a book that I read. It's called a million miles in a thousand years. And it's about, a. um, there's a couple different aspects of the book, but the thing that I always took away from it is basically, uh, the author takes a memoir and they turn it into a movie. And, um, when they take the memoir and they turn it into a movie, they have to look at it like, uh, okay, this isn't just your life, but like, how do we turn your life into a story that looks good on, on the screen. And in order to do that, you have to do a couple different things. And so he starts talking about how do you, instead of just, you know, trying to make a movie out of your life, like what if you lived your life like a good character in a movie? And so, uh, for me, I was sitting at home in my parents' basement feeling sorry for myself because I couldn't get a job at Starbucks and no one else would hire me. And I had a part-time job at UPS, but they laid me off after Christmas because it was seasonal work. And so I'm, in the space in my parents' basement where I'm like, okay, you know, I have friends traveling the world. I have friends, uh, starting their own businesses. I have friends getting their, you know, their normal job doing that thing, you know, consultants, whatever. And I can't even get a job at Starbucks. Everything seems impossible to me. And I thought that only other people could live like cool, interesting, um, stories. And, but then I, I basically took a look at my life and I was like, okay, if my life, you know, my life was a movie, it would basically be a movie about a guy sitting on a couch watching a bunch of movies on Netflix. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't have a lot of things to do. Like I still didn't have a job at that point. I, I wasn't, I didn't like quit my, you know, I didn't like just, Hey, I'm going to go to Thailand or whatever. Like I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have really much of anything, but I looked at, the things that I wanted to do. And one of them was a triathlon. And so I just, you know, it didn't happen right away. Uh, when I first made the list of things I wanted to do, 
uh, I didn't do anything with them. I, I, I called it the impossible list because they all seemed impossible. And I was like, I'd like to do those someday, but not right now. And I basically ran out of shows to watch on Netflix because it was 2010 and, you know, their catalog wasn't that great. Uh, so I, you know, I burned through binge watched a bunch of stuff for like a, you know, a month, month and a half. And then got to a point where I was just like, you don't have any more excuses to not at least train for this triathlon. And so when the, I finished the triathlon, it was just one of those things. Um, you know, you, in my mind, I still didn't think I could do a triathlon, but I had just done one. I just did it. And so I could point back to a, like a point in time I knew it was real. And like I had the result and I, I couldn't lie to myself in my head that I couldn't do it anymore. And so then I just started seeking out other like real life reference points for that and stepping stones where I'd be like, okay, maybe you don't think you can do it, but like, just, you know, move slowly towards that thing and you might end up just accidentally doing it. And then you'll have, you'll prove to yourself that you can keep going. And so for me, it really started off like that. And, uh, like I said, there was kind of parallel stories where I was like, okay, I was doing all these, um, you know, working up from running, not running a 5k to, you know, doing a half Ironman at first. And I was basically doing that while I was kind of taking that same mindset I was taking to fitness and applying it to, my job search. I didn't, I didn't start a business right away. I went and worked for someone else. Um, but I figured that, you know, instead of trying to do a, get a job the normal way, I'd just be like, Hey, I'm going to hang around. You don't have to pay me very much. And I'm just going to figure out what's useful here. And I'm going to make myself useful. And then I eventually made myself so useful that, uh, it was more expensive for them to like, let me go than to, to just pay me like a reasonable amount of money to keep doing the things that I was doing. Um, and so I basically made my own job, um, just by looking at how to be resourceful. Um, and so, you know, everybody's like, Oh, well you turned impossible to a business right away. It's like, no, well, I didn't, I didn't, you know, for first couple of months before, you know, while I started impossible, I didn't have a job. And then I had a job for like two and a half years. And then, uh, eventually I decided like, okay, I had enough skills. I had enough ideas and I had enough projects going on that I could actually go quit and, and start my own thing. Um, but it was really, really gradual. And it started with really small steps. It started with an indoor triathlon. It started with like an, you know, it's like a hundred percent sales commission, uh, selling like websites to, uh, like restaurant, like local restaurants that like couldn't afford websites. And I, eventually came back to the owner. I was like, this is not a good business plan. What if we did different things? And we ended up, you know, kind of changing that business model. And so for me, it was, it was, it was very, very, very small steps at first. Um, and then, uh, you know, but they were all in the same direction that I wanted to go, which was, you know, from the get go, I wanted to travel. I wanted to run a business. I wanted to, um, you know, kind of work for myself. I didn't really have the words to articulate what that was, but uh, I wanted to go in that direction. I just started taking little tiny, like excruciating small uh, baby steps towards that and ended up, uh, um, you know, being able to do some of them. And fast forward to now in 2019. And for those of you, of course, all of the links and everything will be in the show notes where you guys can look at this list, where you can look at the list and how this thing has grown. I'm looking at it right now. And their your 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 impossible list has different subcategories: life, fitness, travel, minimalism, adrenaline rushes, miscellaneous events to attend, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
and you log when you've when you've completed these things and then with links to kind of help people ex- sort of explain to how how you've done it to add some insight into this <clears throat> what was it like to know to understand and realize that you had created a following of people that were inspired by your story that also wanted to do cool shit in their life that also wanted to be resourceful and take some risks and move their bodies. And you know, like what, what was there a moment where you were like, holy shit, like people, people are really digging this. Yeah. So, I mean, at first it was like, uh, it was interesting because it was just a, it was a, excuse for me to do something interesting with my own life i was sit, literally sitting in my parents in, in my parents basement and be like well if i can't make money if i can't start get a job if i can't do any of this i might i could do something interesting and maybe it's not interesting to anyone else but it's interesting to me and so you know at first you're running like i'm gonna run a 5k and nobody's nobody cares uh because it's a 5k but like it's one of those things it's just you i kept taking those steps after steps after steps and kind of sharing you know hey this is this is what I'm doing. This is, um, you know, how it's growing. And one of the interesting things was it was like, OK, I was building, you know, starting to build a, a following on the blog. But it was also opening up like deal flow in other parts of my life, either from uh, getting other, you know, when I was still at a job, having other companies interested in me or like uh, just having people be like, you know, like if you have two candidates of like equal stature or like skill, but, like one of them's doing something interesting and has a good story to tell, like they tend to be interested in the person who's interesting. And so for me, it was just, I was just trying to figure out how to do, you know, small things to challenge myself on a daily basis. And then it ended up turning into this thing where, um, you know, at, at some point people care about you a little bit if you tell an interesting story. But the thing I realized pretty quickly was, uh, people want to do those things themselves too. So I was, um, in a place where, I was trying to kind of break down what I was doing and showing people how he was doing that as well. And so, um, to date, you know, like we've talked about the impossible list a couple of times. Uh, we've had thousands of people, uh, like start their own impossible list, like share their stories, like, uh, you know, either losing a ton of weight, running their first marathon, doing these different types of things. And it's been really interesting to see, uh, you know, when people take that concept of, instead of just being, uh, you know, frightened by the word impossible, but to kind of like turn towards it and be, you know, motivated by it and say like, Hey, like, you know, that word says I can't do it. Let's see if that's true. Uh, it's, it's really incredible what you can do because, you know, I'm not, a am not an ultra runner. Like I, I still have a hard time calling myself an ultra <laughs> runner. Um, uh, I'm not built like most runners. I'm six foot two. I'm like 210 pounds. Like most, most ultra runners are, ultra runners less, but most marathoners are short, small guys, like super light. Um, I, I threw, I threw javelin in college cause I, I did, I wanted to be on the track and field team, but I didn't want to run. Like that's how much I hated running. <laughs> and, uh, it was one of those things that's just like, I found when ultra running a combination of adventure and challenge that is interesting to me, but, uh, uh, it's taken me a completely different direction than I, I would have thought just because I, I've oriented myself towards uh, embracing the hard, difficult things and deciding to go after them instead of just closing yourself off to them. Yeah. And and looking at the list of things that you have completed, you've attended 
Bonnaroo and you've been an extra in a movie and you've gone zorbing. I don't know what zorbing is, but it sounds good. You've <laughs> kite surf. You've learned how to kite surf. Uh, uh, go without a car for a month. Uh, visit 50, 100, 150 countries. Like you're working towards these things. I think that that the that the the story and the motivation and the community that you've been able to build by saying like hey I'm not a marathon runner but I'm running marathons damn it uh, I mm-hmm. I don't have the money to start a business but I'm going to damn it this is how I'm going to do it it's super duper inspiring I mean um, understanding that we all have this capacity to sort of transcend ourselves is is what we all need right now. We all need a little bit of inspiration and a little bit of a plan to figure out how to go after these things, to, to live a life that's worth living. How do the, you... The thing that I always tell people... Oh, yeah. Ahead. No, what, what do you tell... You. No, what do you tell people? Uh, well... You know, we live in a world that's like always looking for ways to do easier stuff. And everybody, you know, not to pick on Tim, but he's got the four hour work week, four hour whatever. Like everybody wants to do things faster and efficient. And um, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like I don't have a problem with that. Like you shouldn't just be, uh, you know, being difficult to be difficult. But there's something about uh, embracing hard, difficult challenges that I think people uh, crave because things have gotten to the point where a lot of people are easy. And even to the point where like, you know, we talked about fasting earlier, like fasting, like don't eat for, you know, eight hours or, you know, don't eat for the first two hours you know, after waking up, not even like a full thing, just like, just try that. And for a lot of people that feels like, a, um, they're not used to, they're used to a constant stimuli of, like, hey, I'm bored. I might as well eat. I might as well, you know, do something. And so I think, you know, we don't nearly have as much challenge on a day-to-day basis. You know, people have tough mental things and 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 life can be, you know, hard in different ways. But from a physical challenge standpoint, um, I I love embracing hard physical challenges uh, because I find that when you're forced to go beyond what you're capable of, uh, you can find out what when you're forced to go beyond what you think you're capable of, you can find out what you're actually capable of. And, um, you know, that's kind of with impossible. It's like, you know, when most people say, Hey, that's impossible. I don't want to do it. Um, let's, you know, find the easy way to do it. It's like, no, go, go through the hard thing, find out like what you're made of and like forge yourself into something. And, uh, I think that is a message that, um, and I think challenges in general are, are something that people crave, uh, but they kind of have to be herded into them or guided into them and, um, you know, told that, hey, you can go do hard things and, uh, you know, you're stronger than you think you are. Yeah. And and obviously because your other businesses that you've started are around mobility and nutrition and stuff like that, um, I believe strongly that a physical challenge is the way to, to kickstart it because there's you can you can be uncomfortable bored you can be uh you can live a tough life uh but stay up inside your head and not move very much 
But when you begin to move, when you physiologically, and this is like Tony Robbins, like connecting with the physiology, you have to change your physical state to change your mental and emotional state. You have to get up and like mm-hmm. do emotion to, to excite some sort of response in your body where you're like, okay, okay, cool. We're doing shit. So now we're standing up. Okay, cool. We're doing shit. So now we're going to go run for fucking 20 hours. Great. Okay. We're going to do that. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's absolutely critically important that we, that, that physical, you're right, that, that physical challenge is a part of our own personal growth. Uh, and as we age, it gets, be, it becomes even more and more like I'm, I'm, I'm 36 and, and I have to do things that challenge my body because, uh, because the, because the debt, because I've already faced some, some stagnation in my physical development. So how is it that you choose uh, do you have a system for choosing what makes it on the list? Do you have a cho- do you have a system for choosing what businesses that you want to open, or are you just sort of like pew 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 pew? I'll figure it out as I go. <laughs> so uh, I find some of the stuff kind of happens, uh, some accidentally, and some um, you just kind of have to pay attention. So uh, I have a like a paleo and a keto resource site called Ultimate Paleo Guide, and we built a meal planner off of that. And that basically came from a um, one of the things on the list was uh, I wanted to get a six pack uh, and do a, a photo shoot with it. And so um, I did that. We built it into a program. And on that program, I mentioned it was like a modified paleo ish, uh, paleo ish and intermittent fasting protocol. And that was like in 2011 or 12. And right before paleo blew up and. I got so many questions about paleo that I was like, I don't want to answer all these questions. I'm just going to put it on a, you know, a one page URL and let people, you know, answer, you know, here, here's, here's the answers to all your questions and send people there. And then that blew up and that turned into a business and that turned into like a site. Um, and then, you know, we like, okay, well it's costing hosting money. Now we need to put up ads. We didn't really like ads. So we started, um, you know, trying to build out like a 21 day challenge and a few other things. And so, uh, over time that's become like a, a pretty large nutrition resource in the paleo and keto space. Um, and we built out a, uh, a pretty slick meal planner, uh, from a software standpoint, uh, that lets people plan their, you know, basically build out uh 15 minute, five ingredient meals, uh, for their week for people who want to eat really healthy, uh, but don't want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. And, that basically just came from like, hey, we put something out there and we got a really good response to the initial thing, but we also paid attention to what people were asking about and then, you know, built out more resources around that. Uh, the mobility app called MoveWell basically came from me getting hurt uh, in Patagonia and coming back and being like, I have to do rehab and I hate rehab and everybody has a foam roller, uh, and, but nobody knows what to do with it. Like you, 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 you sit on it, you kind of stick around for a little bit. Uh, you might watch a Kelly start video or two, but like, you know, Kelly's awesome and he's super smart, but like, they're not always super structured on what to do next. And so, uh, you know, with, with move well, we basically designed these stacked routines that say, Hey, you know, you're going to do these specific movements for this amount of time. We're going to give you audio and visual instructions and, uh, you know, and we, and we stack them uh, into prescriptive movements that are like, Hey, do you have back pain? Like you have back pain. Okay. This is what you're going to do for that. Hey, you have like, uh, like a shoulder issue. This is what you're going to do for that. And we, we try to make them prescriptive because a lot of times people will be like, Oh, my, uh, my lower back hurts. I'm just gonna, 
I'm just going to roll my back out on it, but it's often a hip flexor issue mm. or something else going on that's, uh, um, that's not directly obvious to people. And so we really tried to, to build something that, um, honestly, it was what I needed because I was doing great at doing rehab when I went in and paid 60, 80 hours a session at the physical therapist. Uh, but then they'd give me homework and I'd go home and I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, throw this thing around and not do Typical. what I'm supposed to do. And so this is, yeah, so this is a, a super cost effective way to, to do that on a regular basis. And um, the follow-up on that is when, you know, at first when I started training for 777, I was just running a lot because I thought that's what you needed. You needed to get a lot of miles in. And when I got hurt and had to kind of build my body back up, um, I didn't run nearly as much. I've actually cut down uh, my overall mileage by quite a bit, but I started doing strength training and I was much better about mobility work. And, um, you know, this, the first one where I immediately got hurt in my first race, uh, I ended up doing, you know, the six races within, you know, four and a half months of each other, which is a pretty fast schedule. Um, and, and still being okay and still being able to, um, you know, there's one or two brutal races in there, but, uh, on an overall thing, like it didn't get hurt again. Um, didn't have any major issues. And, um, it was one of those things just like mobility work, I think is one of the most underrated, um, tools, especially for performance that, um, people like me who like to go, 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 and just push harder and harder. Uh, you know, I, I like to, it's not my saying, but I like the saying there's no such thing as overtraining. It's just under recovery. And so, uh, for people who really want to push themselves, uh, having even 10 minutes of mobility a day, uh, allows them to be able to like actually push farther than they thought they'd be able to go. I, I could definitely benefit from, from mobility stuff. You know, I, 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 you're right. I, I know the name Kelly Starrett, you know, I think of a, a couple of other sort of movement specialists, Ido Portal and, uh, functional patterns is another one that sort of jump out at me, but I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have experience in a, in, in a structure for make, for doing that movement. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is like, you know, I follow the breadcrumbs. I follow the rabbit down the hole and I explore opportunities where they are presented to me or where I feel inspired. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it's, I follow stuff that I'm interested in and then, you know, that that's beneficial to me on the first level, because if I'm interested in it, then it's, you know, it's paid for itself basically. And then, you know, I, I pay attention to what other people are interested in and, you know, when other people are interested in, then that means there might be a business opportunity there. So, um, that's kind of how I structured things. I don't always have like a, a business reason for doing specific things for seven, seven, seven. It was just something that I was interested in. And, uh, there was a, you know, a nonprofit, uh, component involved that we wanted to do. Um, but a lot of times it's like you put something out there, you say, Hey, I'm talking about this. This is something I'm trying to do. And then you start hearing back from people on what they're interested in. And then all of a sudden you put a, uh, you know, you put a checkout page there and you see if someone's willing to buy it. And if you do, then, you know, maybe there's a business there. Yeah. I think, I think for, for, for people listening, whether you're keto, adapted, fat adapted, or you're a marathon runner, or you're just looking for some, some inspiration around living a life that's unconventional. I think that there's something to be learned here. And so I want to dig a little bit deeper into sort of your mentality. 
Are you, you mentioned it earlier that you are pretty good at suffering. Not a great runner, not a great runner, but great at suffering. I want to, <laughs> I want to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Where do you think that skill comes from? Um, so, well, this is a good, so David Goggins is, uh, probably the guy that got me interested in ultra running, uh, back in like 2010. Um, and he's blown up in the last couple of years. Uh, but I remember hearing about him when he had like a blog spot, uh, account run by his ex-wife and just, he had a, he had a video he did, you know, it said something like when you think you're done, you're only like 40% of what your body's capable of. And for me, you know, with, especially with ultras, uh, I always tell people that I never, you know, the race for me is one before you get to the start line. Like if I get to the start line of someplace, um, I'm finishing the race. Like it's, it's not, it's not up for discussion, whatever. Like I'm, finishing the race like i'm it's it's already done in my mind i have to do the mile still but i'm not quitting and what i find a lot of people do is they give themselves out early on um they're like well you know i if i hit here and i'm feeling bad then maybe i'll they give themselves reasons they think through all the ways that they're gonna screw it up or they're gonna fail or they're gonna quit early um or they'll come up with reasons why it'll be too hard and they'll have to go home and for me I just decide, you know, like I'm going to the race, like I'm finishing the race. And there was a race I did in Rovaniemi, Finland. I ran out of water. Uh, I had it, you know, it's Rovaniemi, Finland is the unofficial home of Santa Claus. So that's how far north it is. It's not, it's like right on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Um, and uh, it's an unsupported race. And so you have to bring your own water. My water bladder broke uh five minutes, 10 minutes before we into the start line. So I had to carry like a hand water bottle, ran out of water after like the first 10 K and they didn't have any, they don't have water out there on the course. Uh, and so I was like eating snow, like melting it down at one point, pouring in my water bottle, having it refreeze again. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff down there where you're just like, it's, it's almost laughable. It is laughable. Uh, but I, I told myself at the beginning, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish. It's just a question, you know, some, sometimes a question of how long, but, um, I'm going to finish this race. I'm not quitting. And, um, one of the things I really like to do is to, you know, if stuff starts getting really badly, stuff starts going badly. Um, you just like, I get adversarial with whatever challenge I'm doing. There um, I start kind of now, pers- now, yeah, now we're getting pers- into it. There we go. There we go. So you get pissed at it. Well, I, I personify it. It's like, uh, it's like, oh, the the race wants me to quit. Uh-huh. Okay, what do you what do you got for me, race? And um, I had a at a bike race in Indiana of all places. Not that exciting, but it was a hundred some mile bike race. And in the middle of it, there was like a tornado warning, and like it started raining. It started hailing, and I basically just you know a bunch of people had gone in or whatever, and I just started talking out loud to the race. Uh, I'd be like, what are you like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to start raining on me. starts downpouring. It's like, okay, well I can take that. I'll take like, I'll take your 20 mile per hour winds, get 20 mile per hour winds. And it's like everything I said, it was just like, oh, the race served that right up. (laughs) But because, because I, I had placed that expectation out there, like, Hey, like you can give me 
like all the wins you want. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. When it hit, instead of being like, like depressing or bad, it was, are you kidding me? And then it was kind of funny. And then you kind of got pissed. And so there's like a couple of different pieces of fuel there where instead of just being like depressed and sad, you were like, okay, I get it. I get it. That's what you want. And in that race, it was like, you know, unless my leg physically breaks, I'm not, I'm not going home unless I get like, you know, ripped off the road. I'm not going home. And, you know, with the, the Finland race is, is, you know, unless I freeze out here, unless I completely dehydrate and I'm going to be, you know, I'm eating snow. So it's not like ideal, but it's not, I'm not dying. Uh, like I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with everything that you've got. And, and, and for me, you know, I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but the thing I like about ultra marathons is, uh, they get you out into the middle of nowhere that places you would never otherwise get to. Um, and the whole reason you do ultras is to get yourself to a point where you want to quit. You know, ultra marathon is literally defined by anything farther than a marathon. And so you don't, you know, so if you're running the ultra marathon, you don't quit until most people have run as far as they'll ever go. You know, there's a ton of people that do marathons, very small number of people that do ultra marathons. And so for ultra marathoners, the race starts when everybody else goes home. Right. And so that's, it's not a question of if it's going to hurt or if it's going to be hard, it's a question of when it's going to be hard and what you're going to do about it. And so I, I run those races, uh, specifically to get to that point. And then I just, you know, just talk to the race be like, Hey, what do you got for me? And the race will serve something up and you're going to have to decide if you want to deal with it or not. And I always find if you say what you're willing to give up, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be freezing cold for the next 12 hours. I am going to be like, like hmm. just drenched in a downpour for the next six. Like you just say it out. Like I'm going to deal with like 20 mile per hour winds and it's, I'm going to outlast the wind. Like there's something, it sounds like it's crazy talk. Cause if you see me out there, I'm just muttering to myself, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same point, like it's, uh, it's, it's empowering because when yeah. it does happen, um, you expect it. And if it doesn't happen, then you're like, Hey, this is kind of like easy mode. This isn't that bad. There it is. Right. Like if you're, if you're setting an expectation that it's going to suck, you're going to struggle, you're going to be cold, you're going to be tired, you're going to get sued. You're going to get injured. Uh, the beta test isn't going to work. Um, my family's going to think I'm crazy. Um, you know, I'm going to have to put my dog somewhere while I'm, while I'm running. If you go through that, right, you go through all these lists of, 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 of expectations of adversity when you don't experience them, when the sun comes out and you've got, you know, a tailwind, then you're pleasantly surprised by, by, by your good fortune. I, I think that that, I think that that along with the talk, saying it out loud, is such a cool technique that that we all can use and adopt because once you say it out loud and you hear yourself say it it's much more real than if you're just like noodling it and it and you never verbalize it i think there's something different yep. than like like saying it out affirming like i'm going to be freezing cold for 12 hours i that's just what's going to happen and then whew, like back to the run, then, then shit, yep. you're right. And if you're not, if you're only cold for 10 of those 12 hours, then you just got bonused, man. Uh, yeah. I think that's, I think that's phenomenal. 
Um, I, I always tell people expect things to be hard because like if it's easy, then it's it's like it's a nice thing. But like if you're trying to do anything worthwhile, most worthwhile things are difficult. So like I don't understand people who are like, oh, you know, this is really hard. Like, is it is it that hard? And then like when you do stuff, it's really hard. Like I remember like 12 hours into my Antarctica race. And I was like, you know, like muscles are locking up, it's freezing, whatever. And then, you know, I don't remember how far I was in, but it's like you're 50 miles into a race and you've got like, you know, 12 or 13 miles left to go. And you're like, I don't think I can go any farther. And then you do. All of a sudden you could take that physical thing where you're like, you know, you're mentally you're dealing with something at work or things are hard and they're in your head and it feels difficult. You could be like, well, just because you think something's hard or difficult or you can't keep going doesn't mean you can't keep going. And when you have those physical realities where you're like, I didn't think I could keep going after 50 miles. And I did. You realize you, you realize it's just a voice. It's just, it's just something in your head and that like, you're actually capable of way more. And then you start seeing that in all these other areas of your life. Mm. And, um, and then it's, it becomes more of an indicator when you're like on the right track for stuff instead of like, Oh, this is hard. Or I want to quit. I want to go home. You're like, well, actually, you know, it means probably like 80% there. Um, and to me that helps orient things. And, you know, from an expecting it to be hard standpoint, it's like, you know, when did we, when did we start expecting everything to just be so easy? And, you know, just because it's like minorly inconvenient doesn't mean it's hard. Like there's a big difference. There's a big difference between like, Hey, it's immediately available. And like, this is impossible. And, 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 and most people, you know, kind of lump, you know, if it's not one, it's the other. And there's a whole range of things from like the moderately difficult to the actually impossible, <laughs> uh, that you can actually do if you just decide to like, go for it and, uh, suck it up when, uh, most people quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that, I think we're used to things being easy. We've we've uh, organized our lives in this you know current Western paradigm to to make things as easy as possible because because we're kind of lazy and it's easy to fast track things, and and it's doing us a disservice because the way the reason why we're bipedal and have opposable thumbs and have language is because we did a bunch of shit that was hard for yeah. for hundreds and thousands and hundreds and thousands of years. We did things that were hard and we grew and we got smarter and we got faster and we were able to problem solve. How do you organize? It's like you see the evolution of 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 you see like the uh, the caveman evolution graphics or whatever, and they get bigger and stronger or whatever, and then like you see the current evolution, it's like hunched over, yeah, uh, like a laptop or whatever, and it's just like this weak little body, and it's like. We could we we could be better than that. We could be stronger than that. Yeah, we can. We can. The tech neck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how, <laughs> how do you how do you structure your days as a founder, an entrepreneur, and and um, list maker, list achiever, goal achiever? How how do you two part question? How do you structure your tasks and your days? And I and I'm and I'm saying this specifically for people who think of themselves as, oh, I'm really busy. I've got a lot of things going on. Well, you don't have the same sorts of things going on that Joel has, number one. So how do you structure your day and your time? And two, who do you lean on for support? Yeah, so uh this is actually something that's a changing answer for me. So I am in 
Uh, I just moved to Austin maybe a few months ago. And before that, I was like pretty much pseudo nomadic for months or for like basically two and a half years. And um, it started with 777 and doing all these ultra marathons. And I got rid of my apartment because I was just going to be gone for like six months. And then it it kind of morphed into just me like traveling for a long time. And so what I realized was I was burning so many mental cycles on the travel aspect that it was hard to scale the businesses. The businesses were going fine, but it was just, it was hard. There's a difference between maintaining a business and growing it. And so for me, uh, I moved back to, uh, well, I didn't move back. I, I moved to Austin and um, kind of got set up here and I'm still kind of working out my daily uh, routine, but typically um, I'll have like team uh, calls Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and do a lot more admin stuff in the afternoons. Um, mornings are my creative time. Um, I try to do writing and, um, um, whether that's blogs, sales stuff, or like, uh, just strategy. Um, um, those tend to be my good hours, uh, like eight to eight to 12 or so. Um, after 12, it's a lot more, uh, phone calls, Skype, uh, meetings, admin, um, you know, those types of things. Um, and in general, uh, the couple things I'm working on right now are doing less and, um, letting go more because originally when I structured a bunch of my companies, you know, I bootstrapped them all. And so I was doing a lot of things in all the different areas and, um, and what that unintentionally did was built a bunch of businesses that all run through Joel as the main artery yeah. uh, for them. And so what I've had to do with uh, some of the new stuff is I've, I've done a be- better job on the newer apps like uh, MoveWell of just building it, you know, kind of decentralized away from, you know, Joel having to be involved in everything. Uh, and with the other ones, uh, it's been actually a little bit more difficult, but you basically have to like reorg how everything's done and you also have to train yourself and that's i feel like that's the harder part to uh not have to have control over every little tiny thing yeah and so for me that's been um that was kind of the impetus to to come and be in one place for a while and focus on one one thing and i've been doing that and it's been going let's say well um but it can always it can always go better so uh, that's typically how I, I structure them. Uh, mornings are more creative afternoons are more admin. And then I have like, um, if I need to do s- specific interviews or whatever, I, I try to keep those, um, organized to specific days. And then, um, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays are more team oriented for me. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, I try to have a lot more like, uh, an unfettered Joel time, if you will. How how did you get to that sort of rhythm and of of sort of daily routines? Did you read something? Was there a book that told you that you should be doing your creative stuff in the morning? Um, no, it just kind of plays out like that. Like it, I find, you know, one to one to four from a creative standpoint, I'm not really that useful. Like I I could be creative at night and in the mornings. Um, middle of the day, I'm not doing like, I never come back from like a lunch or something like that. and be like, Oh, I've got a lot of like, like creative energy to output right now. So I either like, we'll go do a workout or try to make that like a social hour where I, you know, you have a coffee, coffee meeting with someone or something like that. Um, 
And the other thing is I, I started using just, I started just making rules for myself. So instead of, um, you know, when we scheduled this call, like it was like on a, on a specific date time window that I made available for these types of calls, uh, for like coffees, uh, like, you know, meeting up with someone in town, like I've got a couple days that I make available for that type of thing. Um, and from that standpoint, and this is maybe a bigger concept for me, but part of the reason I, I got a base was I realized, you know, I went from being this guy that just wanted to not have a boss and be whatever, be free to do whatever I wanted to do. And I got to the point where I was traveling and I could do whatever I wanted, when, wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And there weren't that many consequences for it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't actually what I wanted to be doing. I didn't want to just be free from everything. I wanted to actually build stuff. And so I, you know, I, I've said in other ways, but I was like drowning in an ocean of freedom. Like I had too much freedom <laughs> to do anything with. Sure. And I actually needed more structure. And so um, that's part of the reason I, I came to Austin to kind of have a base. Uh, I could still travel. I could still go other places, but I have a base to operate out of. Um, I have a weekly schedule that is, you know, still varies on a weekly basis, but it's it's a lot more structured than it used to be. And all of a sudden, it's like I can get way more done. I can grow, you know, the business. I can affect more people. Um, uh, and we could do a lot more work uh in the world than if I'm just kind of doing whatever Joel wants to do, whatever he wants to do it, because, you know, that might sound, you know, it's, it's not bad for a couple of months, but if you keep doing it and there's no uh, progression, if there's no growth, um, you know, it's the structure, it's the limitations I find that kind of bring the creativity, bring the, the new ideas and bring the new um, kind of the next levels of the business uh, uh, to fruition. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah dr drowning in a sea of of flexibility i remember what you said just in lost in a yeah, sea freedom. of freedom <laughs> uh and uh who do you who do you lean on of, of course you've got a team of people that work with you yep. on, on these projects but but who else do you lean on for support where do you go uh like my team wise or just no. like in general, uh, do you, uh, be a, a coach, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, cousin, like, uh, uh, pastor, where do you get your, where do you get your juice from? Yeah. So I've got, um, I've got a couple different friends that I'll do uh, like ongoing, like uh, monthly check-ins with, uh, my brother runs a, a business in a completely different non-internet space, which is actually really refreshing to like exchange ideas and be like, oh, it doesn't matter what type of business you're in, you're still dealing with the same stuff. Uh -huh. um, and so my brother, uh, my friends, um, one thing about moving to Austin is there's a lot of people here doing similar type things. And that's been really good to just be able to like, you know, out of, you know, I found, you know, as I travel so much, there's a bunch of people in a bunch of different cities around the world, but Austin, and I would say probably Austin, New York, uh, have like the highest density of people that, you know, from my social circle that I already knew. And Austin is just such a small city that you, I literally bumped into like someone almost, uh, ran me over with their bike the other day. And it was a guy that I'd been like, Hey, I should text this guy for like two days in a row. And I, I didn't. And then I literally like, he almost ran me over on a bike and I was like, John, was like, Joel. <laughs> and then we're hanging out. So, um, I would say those, uh, I, I, 
I actually got a coach uh, 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 like a month ago um, because I found in general that I'm spending so many times like the I'm like overloading the executive functions of my brain sometimes yeah. uh, with all all the different things, you know, all the different businesses that I have um, and then all the different things in my life and then doing all these different things. It's just, it's just like everything from figuring out what I'm going to eat to like doing my workout to like programming my own workout. Sometimes um, I just started kind of, you know, I mentioned earlier about letting go of like, you don't need to program your own workouts. Like just let someone else do that. Like you can, even if you program workouts for other people, like just let someone else do it for you because then all you have to do is you just have to show up. Yeah. And the compliance factor for me is kind of skyrocketed from that. Um, I just hired a, I've had VAs for a while, but I just hired an in-person uh, assistant and that's been amazing because like almost actually I would say definitely better than a VA because um, there's just a bunch of like t- physical tasks around the house and um, like in my life that I need someone to run, you know, you know, run this thing to the post office, process a return, like handle, handle specific things. And a VA can do a lot of that, but they can't do um, some of the stuff in the physical space. And so um, those are uh, a couple of the ways that I've done that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I find, I find, and that might sound a little weird, but like, I find I'm pretty comfortable with myself as well. And I find that um, sometimes if you have a problem and you just sit with it, hmm. um, it's you, you kind of already know what you need to do. And yes. we're so distracted and we have all these other things at our fingertips and we always are scrolling or swiping or, uh, you know, just, you know, clicking in a new tab and then, you know, closing Facebook, then immediately reopening Facebook and then closing it again. And, and when I sit with myself and I just like, like, again, I talk to myself a decent amount, uh, but it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you, you already know the answer. You don't need any more support. You're just not doing the thing that you already know you need to do. And yeah. then why is that? Uh-huh. And so, uh, I, I do a lot of like self-talk and like, um, you know, I got a lot of my own problems and all sorts of things, but, uh, you know, sometimes I think we overcomplicate things because, you know, you're not dumb. You're not, you're not stupid. Uh, you're probably distracted and you're probably a little bit like stressed out, but one of the best things about being in one place after, you know, so long on the road was, um, instead of just wasting all these mental cycles on what's the next hotel and what's the next Airbnb, I'm like asking myself why I'm doing a couple different things and asking myself, like, what do I really want out of these, you know, specific, uh, tasks or activities or projects that I'm doing. And, um, and then you're kind of, questioning the first principles instead of stuck in the weeds and like, what do I do next? What's, and you're making like higher leverage decisions. So I think, I think, you know, like a lot of times just being quiet and like, you know, on a long run or like a, a solo workout session, like I find I solve way more problems than I do. Like, let's just talk about it. I feel people get stuck in like talk ruts sometimes where it's like everybody, you know, we want to destigmatize like, you know, feeling bad about some stuff. And I don't have any problem with that. But sometimes I think we talk about talking about things too much. And I feel like just do the thing. Like as much as you want to talk about it, as much as you want to like feel different feelings, let's like go, you know, let's 
you know, we don't need to talk about why Joel doesn't want to work out today. Like if you just wanted to do that, you'd just be on the couch eating ice cream every single day because you didn't want to do it. So just suck it up, go to the workout and you're going to be happy in about 45 minutes. Right. Yes. It's not that complicated. I think that's strong. I think that's powerful wisdom. I think we need to be reminded that we do know the answers um, and we're just distracted. That's an excellent, excellent point. If you can sit and talk to yourself and not bullshit yourself uh, and, yeah. think, and think quietly, you know, the, the solution usually presents itself. That's great. Before I ask the final question, uh, I want to ask which of the items on the impossible list um, since you've already achieved the create an apparel line, giving a hundred thousand dollars away, uh, you learned Spanish, you know, you haven't been to space yet. What's the next, what's the next one thing or <laughs> to, what's the next two or three things that, that are really in your, in your crosshairs that you're trying to check off that list? Yeah. So, uh, like the next, I kind of stumbled into like a fun endurance challenge that I'm kind of working on right now. It's not like. I don't think it's impossible. It's just kind of more interesting to me. Um, on the way back from the last ultra marathon, I ended up, uh, coming up through South Africa into Europe and, uh, I ended up in Switzerland right next to Liechtenstein and Liechtenstein is the sixth smallest country in the world. And so it's like 13 miles across or lengthwise. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I have to run that. And so I ran across that one and then I ran across Monaco. And then I think I've run across, um, like Vatican city. And so I have like a kind of small Joel side bet with myself. I don't know, uh, to run across the 10 smallest countries in the world. Um, <laughs> nice. and that's just like kind of adventurous and fun. Uh, it's not that difficult, but it's like logistically interesting. Um, the next things that I'm working on the list are, um, really related to kind of scaling up the businesses, which is why I, um, you know, I alluded to earlier, uh, business has been great. Uh, and it's allowed me to do everything that I've wanted to do over the last few years, but I've really wanted to get a little bit more serious about it and, and really grow things. Um, especially with the impossible brand and what we can do, uh, you know, with apparel, with physical products, a bunch of different things. Um, I think there's a lot more to it and, um, I like inspiring people. Uh, you know, we've done a lot to inspire people to take action, but, uh, there's something about, um, you know, when people, you know, wear your gear while running their first marathon or jumping out of an airplane or like hella skiing or, you know, like that type of stuff is awesome. Yeah. And, um, we want to be able to fuel people, uh, not just like tell my story about pushing my limits and doing something I didn't think I could do, but also, uh, empowering other people to push their limits, kind of, uh, orient themselves towards hard, difficult things and then, uh, create products and, uh, apparel and, um, uh, that help fuel them to actually go out and take action. Um, and so, you know, I've got my own little kind of side fun thing I'm working on. Uh, I am wanting to do that. And then there's like a couple races I've got on my wish list where it's like, there's a Red Bull X Alps race, which is half ultra running, half paragliding. Uh, huh. and I don't know how to paraglide, but it seems, it seems awesome. So <laughs> I want to do that. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the business is a little bit, uh, more in focus right now than, um, some of the other physical challenges, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gearing up as summer comes around, um, and I'm itching for kind of the next big challenge. So, um, if you guys, if anybody has like a, 
an awesome badass challenge uh they think i should do i'd love to hear it nice where can people get a hold of you where can they find you and follow along yeah so the main site is impossiblehq.com hq as in headquarters and uh you can follow me on twitter instagram at joel runyon and then uh i think you got the links to all the other uh sites and projects uh in the show notes so uh that should be good to go sweet Okay, the final question is a fill-in-the-blank, if you would please fill in the blank. All right. Everyone should know. I'm sorry. I made this mistake before. Everyone would benefit from knowing. That's a good question. Uh, Everybody would benefit from knowing uh, how much they can endure. Um, I don't know if that's the way you're looking for, but I – yeah, everybody would benefit from knowing how much uh, how much farther they can go uh, than when they think they're done. Awesome. That's like stealing David Goggins' quote, but there you go. That's that's great, awesome. Well, Joel, it's been a really great conversation. Your stuff is super inspiring. You know, since since you came across my radar and 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 I begin to follow you and read your story, it's. Uh, whether you're a freelancer or not, whether you're a marathoner, ultra marathoner or not, um, your story and the way that you have chosen consciously to live your life is is really inspiring, and it must be a kick to to watch people light up um, and be inspired by your story. And I'm very thankful for you joining with me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Awesome! Thanks for having me.